You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We're going to begin a brand new series called Carriers, and we're going to have a different focus each week, uh, but we're looking at the series, uh, through this series, we're going to talk about what we should be carrying and what we shouldn't be carrying. Uh, If you don't know this, your life is meant to be a vessel. You're a vessel of the things that God intends to pour into your life, but often we are uh, bottled up, preoccupied, caught up in other things that keep us from carrying what we should. And, and I believe that many people are carrying fear, many people are carrying worry, many people are carrying shame, but God wants to bring freedom into your life and mine in such a way that we can carry what we were created for. And that's what we're gonna look at through this series over the next couple of weeks. Didn't Pastor Jacob do an awesome job last Sunday? He, he's our uh, student ministries pastor, and he did a great job. In fact, I told him today, I said, the fact that you let out in singing is just all the permission I needed. <laughs> all the permission I needed. Today's message, if you're taking notes, is message in a bottle. Message in a bottle. We're going to begin in a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. And here's what it says, Elisha, who, is, who Pastor Jacob uh, shared about at the beginning of his message last week, Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. What's that word about? Well, if this, this is a moment where Israel is under siege. They're under siege, surrounded. In fact, the capital of the nation of Israel was not, at this point, Jerusalem. It was, uh, the, the, Israel was separated into two kingdoms. Jerusalem was with Judah, and the rest of the nation was, uh, had their headquarters, their capital, at a place called Samaria. And while they're there, they're under siege by an enemy army that has surrounded them so completely that they've cut off any source of supply and resupply to the city, and now people are starving. Now people are under threat of death. They're not only the violence of the enemy army that surrounded the city, but they're gonna starve them out if they're not careful. And so because of that, they're experiencing, I don't have to describe what inflation is anymore. They're They're experiencing inflation, and yet here's what happens Elisha comes to the king and he says, here's what God says about this situation. Tomorrow at this time, everything that's scarce is going to be abundant. Everything that's costly is gonna be available. He says, everything is about to change within 24 hours. He gives that word and here's the response to the word of the Lord. There's always gonna be opinions contrary to what God says. Can I just remind you? There's always going to be a voice that tries to contradict what God has told you, led you in, showed you from his word. There's always going to be a contradictory voice. You ever have that friend that no matter what you say, they're going to say the opposite? It's beautiful out. Oh, but there's clouds. (laughs) There's always an opinion that's always, there's always a critic. There's always somebody that has something negative to say. But here's what verse 2 says, the officer assisting the king. New King James says this, the officer on whom the king leaned. In other words, this is the, one of the most influential voices that the king has in his life. He says to the man of God, Elisha, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Be careful 
when you listen to a voice or a word or an opinion or a, a trend of culture that is contrary to what God has said. <laughs> he says, that couldn't be possible. Here's Elisha's response. Oh, you'll see it happen with your own eyes, but you're not gonna eat of it. You're not gonna participate in it. Critics always have an opinion, but they miss out on what others feast on. Okay, now there are four men of leprosy. Now the, the story shifts gears, and, and it, now it's outside the city. And now there are four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. They're sitting there. Lepers are outcasts. They're separated religiously, culturally, uh, relationally. They're unclean, and because of that, they become tremendously isolated. And they're so isolated that all they have is each other, and they're sitting there at the gate, and here's what one of them says. And I love this, and I've preached this part before. Why are we sitting here waiting to die? Why are we sitting here inactive? Why are we sitting just passing the time? Why are we sitting here just existing? I think that's where most people live their lives. They're just existing. Instead of walking out in the purpose for which they're created. And what I love about these guys is they don't even know what they're going to walk to or what they're even fully walking from. They just decide we're not going to sit here anymore. I, I can appreciate that. Like they, they just said, we're, what, what's, the, what's the purpose of staying in this spot until we die? We're going to starve if we stay here, but the famine in the city will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, well, it's so much better. Uh, but if they kill us, we'll at least have died anyway. <laughs> so at twilight, they set out for the camp. And when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Listen to this. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army that had surrounded the city to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. Did, did you catch what happened? Four lepers hobbling from the city gates. God causes their movement to be amplified. Don't ever think that what God needs is something qualified. Don't ever think what God needs is someone capable. What God needs is just availability. He just needed some movement. And they began to move toward the army, and God goes, oh, there's some movement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to multiply their movement. I'm going to take what's little and make it much. I'm going to take that little step, and I'm going to amplify it in such a way that the enemy army flees. So they say, oh, the king of Israel, he's hired the Hittites and the Egyptians. They're going to attack us, and they cried out to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys, everything else, and they fled for their lives. And when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into the tent after one another, eating and drinking wine. They carried off the silver, the gold, the clothing, and they hid it. And finally, this is what I want us to focus on today. They said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall on us. Come, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city, told the gatekeepers what happened. We went out to the camp and no one was there. The horses, the donkeys were tethered, the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. And the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. We'll go to what happened next later, but I just want to remind you today, if you're taking notes, you carry good news, church. You carry the greatest news that's ever been heard by human ears. These lepers come out to the camp 
as Israel has been under siege, under siege, and they come and they find the enemy that they feared has fled. My parents used to tell me, you know, spiders are more scared of you than you are of them. I never believed it. And, and that's kind of where they're at. The, the people re, re, discover that the enemy has fled without a single battle being fought. And the word of these lepers as they come back is that the, everything that's missing in the city is right there for us. Everything that we need is just outside. Everything we need is at the camp. This is, and I love the response of the four lepers. They say, we could keep this to ourselves, but that's not right. It's not okay that we receive the benefit of the spoil of this outcome without sharing it with the city that's starving just a few steps away. How many people are living their lives starving, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every area of their life? They're broken, they're hurting, and yet everything they need is just outside the walls. And the church, we can celebrate what we've received from God, what we've been freely given, because these lepers, if you didn't notice in the story, they didn't do one thing to actually earn it. They didn't fight a single soldier. They didn't win a single victory. They just showed up, and they got to receive everything that God freely provided. But they recognized something that I think most people live their lives, even in church, never recognized, that what they were freely given, they were meant to share what they were freely given. They were meant to tell the good news to others about. They were not meant to keep it to themselves. They said, it's not good that we hold on to this alone. There's a city that's starving. There's a city that's broken. There's a city that's hurting that needs what's out here. And you and I carry the good news. I wanna just take a few moments. And, and I, I, I believe that sometimes in the church, we've been in church long enough that there's certain things that we think, I've got that down. I can recite it, I can tell it, I can quote the verses. That's like the thing I graduated from. Like there's some kind of class I have to take and when I get the fundamentals down, then I graduate from it. But here's the reality. Just like every house has a foundation, you don't dispose of the foundation, you build on it. You don't get rid of the foundation. You don't dig it up again. You build on what's necessary. And without that foundation, everything else falls apart. Well, the foundation of the church is Jesus. The foundation of the church is the good news of Jesus. And here's what we, I, I want to take a moment and share. The Bible calls this the gospel. And the gospel is more than just, well, that's a salvation message. I'm already a Christian. I don't need that anymore. No, the gospel connects to everything else. In fact, it's the heartbeat of the word of God. The gospel is the foundation. And without it, not only will I not understand the word, but I won't benefit from all that God's freely provided for me. The gospel, gospel literally means good news. And, and, and here's, here's of all the places, I think the person who used that term the most was the Apostle Paul. In just about every letter, I think every letter he wrote, two-thirds of the New Testament, he mentions the gospel. He loved the gospel, so much so that he called it his own. He said, this is my gospel. He called it the glorious gospel. And here he describes it, the good news of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you also were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you first, uh, first of all, that which I also received. You can't give what you don't have. 
You can't lead others where you won't go. Religion does that. Religion stays at a distance and says, here's what you should do. <laughs> but the good news is first received, walked out, and, led, and leads others into it. It's an invitation. It says, I, I delivered to you what I first received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the heart. In fact, Paul here is defining. He's explaining in case, because I, I hear this all the time. I hear churches all the time say, well, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel. Here's where Paul says, let me explain, remind you of the gospel. Here's the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. The church never moves beyond that, never outgrows that. Everything we have in our lives is based upon what Jesus accomplished right there. Your freedom, your hope, your future, a home in heaven, the gifts of God, the provision of God, the healing of God, everything goes back to a moment where Jesus took our shame and he died on the cross and, and somewhere along the way we go, well, yeah, I know that stuff. But I think sometimes God has to bring us back to Sunday school because we complicate what Jesus made simple. We lose sight of the thing that is most important. That's why one of our values, in fact, I, I believe it's listed first, is Jesus, as a church, we say this, Jesus is our message. There's a lot of messages in the world. There's a lot of messages that promise what they don't deliver. Uh, in, in a lot of circles you hear, you know, I hear this all the time, you know, get ready, it's, it's election season. Here's what's funny. I don't think we ever left election season. Like, when did it ever end? I don't know, it just keeps going. But there's gonna be a lot of people making promises they won't deliver. The culture makes promises they won't deliver. People all the time promise and, and portray what can't be delivered. Here's what I want to remind you. The good news is one thing you can bank on, one thing you can stake your eternity on, one thing you can build your family on, your marriage on, your future on. It's a good news that was sealed in blood 2,000 years ago by a Savior who still lives. That's the good news. And there's a lot of messages you'll hear in life, but there's one message that we're called to carry more than every other message. Paul said this later in life in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now too many Christians stop there and go, yeah, those sinners. Oh, those sinners. <laughs> I, I can list all the sinners. But then Paul says this, Paul the apostle. He says, of whom I'm the worst of them all. And he goes on and describes how he persecuted the church and Jesus redeemed his story and made him the greatest builder of the church. God had mercy on me. That God could use me as an example, a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive everlasting life. Paul says, there's a message about what Jesus has done, but then Jesus put me on display as a demonstration of that message. Paul would write this to the Corinthians. He says, you are an epistle, a letter written not with ink, but upon the heart, written by the Spirit. And he says that because he says you are known and read by all. It's in 1 Corinthians. And here's why, why this is important. Because Paul says the church is an open letter. I don't know when that started in culture. I see this all the time online. You know, people say an open letter, like, like the person you're writing about is ever going to read it. 
but it's an open letter. Here's my opinion. I'm gonna vent it out in the world. But, but, but here's an open letter. <laughs> it's the life of the church that's seen and read. Do you know that most people won't ever read a Bible, but they do read us? They do read, they may never crack open a Bible, but they read the letter that God has put right in front of them. You and I can carry good news. We're created to carry good news. And you know what I love about the gospel, the good news? It's not that Jesus makes me better than you or makes us better than them. It's that he makes me, Jesus made me better than me. (laughs) I was lost, I was broken, I was a mess without Jesus. What did he do? He rescued, he saved, he transformed, he healed. Jesus preached the gospel. Mark chapter one, verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. Kingdom just means the king's dominion, where the king reigns. He's preaching the good news of that. He says, the time's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, within reach. Repent and believe in the gospel. Paul would say this in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I love that. He says, I'm not ashamed of this. This message changed me, so I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to share it. And as a carrier of good news, I, I, years ago, I got to visit a place. A friend of mine is a, is a member at a thing called a yacht club down in Florida. And a yacht club, you know, it isn't just because they all had yachts, like these big giant boats. They would have sailboats, and it's where they would park their boat, and it's where they would have great meals, and you know, there's a little clubhouse where you could have social events and gather, and, and I loved it because anytime he, he invited me out there, it's, you know, it's who you know, <laughs> and so I got to show up because he was a member, so I, I would go there, and I just love the water, and so I look at all the boats and the sailboats, and they were so cool, and then years later, I heard the story of where yacht clubs come from, because yacht clubs essentially were places you park your boat, where you shine up your boat, you clean your boat, you maintain your boat, where you admire your boat and people admire other boats. And, 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 that, and it became a social institution, a social club. But I found out that the start of yacht clubs in the United States, the start of yacht clubs was not a social club. It was actually a rescue society. They started, as people said, I've got a private boat, you have a private boat, let's pledge together that when somebody is in need, somebody is in, a lost at sea, somebody is, needs to be found, that we are gonna pull our resources together and we are gonna take our boats out to sea to find what is lost. And it's so interesting that what started as a rescue society became a social club, I think because the mission was forgotten. And whenever the church loses sight of the number one mission of the church, we go from being a rescue society to a social institution. We have the good news. If I could remind you today that this is the most important news that's ever been spoken by human lips and heard by human ears because it's the only message that affects eternity. It's so important that Paul would say in Galatians 1, He said, if anybody else preaches another gospel, even an angel, if an angel showed up and gave a different message than what I described to the Corinthians, it gave a different message, then let that one be accursed. That's strong words. Paul says, like, in fact, in in Greek, it's a double curse, like, like, curse, curse. (laughs) Like, that's bad, that's serious. He says, because there's one message, and the message is Jesus. 
In fact, if you read the book of Galatians, it's such a great study, but there were people who came along and said, oh, that Jesus stuff, we graduated from that. It's Jesus plus all this other stuff. You know, now we have Disney plus, Apple plus, we got all the pluses. There's no Jesus plus. Like there's nothing hidden behind a paywall. Like if you subscribe, you get the benefits. <laughs> what do the lepers say? It's all here. The enemy's defeated. The spoils are yours. <laughs> There's good news. In 2018, a family in Perth, Australia, found the world's oldest known message in a bottle. It was determined to be 132 years old from the point at which it was thrown into the sea by a German ship. There's a story I came across of a of a, I believe he's a British soldier who went out in World War I and put a message in a bottle and threw it into the ocean just before he was deployed. And he wrote that message to his wife, a heartfelt love letter to his wife. And just two days later, he would die in combat. And the message he had placed in the ocean would not be found again for nearly a generation. And somebody came across that, found it, and was able to track down, although his wife had since passed away years and years later, I think it was something like 80 years but he was able to find the descendants of that soldier and his wife and present that message to them. Can I tell you that message meant a lot because of who sent the message. God has put the most important message. And if I'm, if I'm honest, I, I, I'm thinking, God, there's a whole lot of better ways you could have sent the message of, of salvation to the world than through ordinary vessels like me. And through people like us and, and a church like us. And, 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 and yet God has chosen his people to be the carriers. Like you see this in the, in the New Testament. That even when an angel showed up to somebody, he didn't tell them the gospel. He just said, there's somebody else named Peter you're going to hear from. Because God's chosen vessel was not an angel from heaven. It wasn't some dramatic spectacle. But it was a life that had experienced what no angel had experienced. Which is salvation. That we were lost and then he found us. He rescued us, he saved us, he forgave us. I love this, 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says it this way, uh, therefore, he's describing being a carrier of that message. Since we have this ministry uh, we've received, we don't lose heart, we don't quit, we don't give up. But in fact, we've also renounced the hidden things of shame. Not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, What's, what's Paul describing? He says, we're not, we're not sending mixed signals. We're, we're carriers of a message. Let me, let me do this. Jenna, if you could grab those water bottles real quick. I, I had to put, you can take that post-it off. The post-it says, do not drink this. Yeah, just in case somebody in the front row, but the other one too. So, so um, thank you, dear. So I've got, I've got two water bottles up here, and uh, I, I asked my niece at the, before service, I said, of these two water bottles, which one would you drink? And she tried to say what she thought you should say. She's like, the imperfect one. <laughs> if you found this one on a store shelf and this one on the ground, which one do you think you would be more inclined to participate with? <laughs> now, can I just tell you, they have the exact same contents but the presentation matters. Now, the contents are what really matters. If you're dying of thirst out in the desert, what do you need? You need some water. 
But I think sometimes people aren't rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the presentation. Because we've added a whole lot of stuff to it that's actually weighing down the delivery of the message. Our, our, our opinions and our, our arguments and all the stuff. They may be fine, but is it weighing down the most important thing? Because there is a dying, thirsty world that needs to hear the message that you and I carry. And I wonder if, and Paul says, listen, we didn't let our, we, we didn't compromise who we were because we didn't want our failure to get in the way. We didn't want to say one thing and be something else. And if you don't think the world notices, they do. But he says, by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here, let me just toss this down before it rolls. And I trip. Um, verse three. But even if our gospel, our good news is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, this world, has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the good news of Jesus, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of, of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And our, ourselves bondservants for your sake. For it is God, listen to this, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. There's a whole lot said there, but here's what he says. We have this treasure. Do you know you have treasure in your life that God has given you? You have this treasure and we have it in earthen vessels, not perfect vessels, earthen vessels, ordinary vessels, that the glory may not be of us, but of, the, of Jesus, of the power of God. So God sent a message in a bottle. <laughs> and, and the difference is in, in this illustration that, that when we throw a message in a bottle into the ocean, we have no idea where it's gonna go. But God is very strategic. God is very purposeful. When God wanted to reach North Iowa, when God wanted to reach your city, when God wanted to reach your family, your kids, your marriage, your, your households, when God wanted to reach your work, he, wasn't, he didn't just throw something randomly into the sea. No, he placed you right where he needed you. Right where he needed you. And you think, well, I'm just ordinary. I, I, I don't know enough Bible verses. I don't know enough. Here. Can I just tell you what people in your life need is not necessarily a, a 2,400-page systematic theology, but they do need to see Jesus. We have an opportunity to give them hope. The Bible says, be ready at any moment to give a reason for the hope that is in you. So, so we have an opportunity, church, to be carriers, to bring the world what, what, what they need. And, and here's what that verse I just read. It says that the veil, there's a veil over people's hearts that keeps them. And, and what is it? It's the enemy's work to blind people, to bottle up the church and to blind people from receiving the message. And if I could bring you back to the story of Elisha, what happened? The, the messenger on whom the king leaned said, oh, don't listen to this. Don't listen to that word. What's he doing? He's trying to put a veil over the heart of the king to keep him bound in a city that's starving and broken rather than receiving the life-giving message of Jesus. This is important, church. Let's go back to verse 16, 2 Kings seven sixteen. Then the people of Samaria, when they heard the good news, rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. There is not a shortage of people 
that need God. And maybe they've rejected religion. And there are times where people are brought and presented the truth of Jesus, the love of God, and they still reject it. That's absolutely true. But there's also people that recognize they've been starving and they didn't know that there was food. What, what a sad testimony that, that can happen one day in eternity that there will be people, even in America, who said, I never heard. I never knew. So it was that six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver just as the Lord had promised. And in verse 17, I want you to see this because this is just, it's one of those things in the story that I just love to point out. Um, The king appointed his officer, the man that he depended on for counsel that contradicted the word who said, oh, that'll never happen. He put that messenger in charge of the gate to do traffic control. Because the people were starving. They heard that the camp was available and everything they needed was just outside the city. And somebody decided, no, we're going to control things. Do this my way. And so the guy puts himself at the city gate and says, one at a time, my friends first. (laughs) And he tried to stand at the gate. And here's what it says. He was knocked down and trampled to death by the crowd that said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get to what's just outside. And can I tell you, the enemy does the exact same thing. He tries to position himself at the very point of your freedom, at the very point of, of, of the end of your shame, at the very point of, of you having breakthrough in your relationship with God, and he tries to position himself and say, no, no, not that much. You can't have that much. You won't move forward. You won't change. You'll never be free. You'll never get over that anger issue. You'll never deal with that addiction. You'll, and, and the enemy positions himself at the gate, and it just takes somebody that's desperate enough to say, no, I want everything that God has for me that's freely outside that gate. I'm running to it, and I'm not just, heaven help whatever enemy gets in the way. <laughs> There's good news. There's good news, church. There's good news. Number two is show and tell. I'm almost done, but I've got two last points. Show and tell. I, um, there were a lot of things I didn't like in school, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but there were some things I really liked. Like, I, I liked when they rearranged our desks. So he showed up to class, and the teacher had moved everything until you found out who you were next to. You're like, can we do this again? Can we just shuffle the desks around? And, and, and when I was younger, I used to, of course, I loved recess. I was all about that recess. And I loved Heads Up 7-Up. Anybody play Heads Up 7-Up? Okay. I, I used to love when the teacher rolled out the TV cart and said, it's time for Reading Rainbow. Some of y'all have no idea what Reading Rainbow is. You missed out. You, you didn't have a childhood like I Reading Rainbow. But, but my favorite thing when I was real little was when it was time for show and tell because I got to bring toys to school. It was awesome. Got to bring toys to school. And you talk about it, and there wasn't a person in that room that could give a care about my Batman action figure. But I was going to describe it. I was going to tell about it. I was going to show them. And can I just tell you, church, that our mission is to tell the world, but it's also to show the world. 
The Bible says the gospel did not just come in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, that there's something that's needed. We need to tell and show. We need to demonstrate. We need to serve. That's why we're doing things like Serve Day, because we have a practical opportunity to show the love of Jesus, not just preach to the world a message, but say, this is something we're living out. We're carrying Jesus to you. We're bringing to you something real. We're not here just because we needed something to do on a Saturday, but we're here because Jesus changed our life. He did something in me that made an eternal difference, and I want to share that with you. And we have an opportunity. I love this in Matthew 25, 40. Jesus says in eternity that one day there's going to be a moment where he separates the nations as sheep and goats, and he'll say to those who are sheep, he'll say this, what, what, you, what you did to the least, you didn't know it, but you were actually doing it to me when you visited those in prison, when you brought a cup of cold water, when you clothed the naked, what you did for the least, those that could not repay you back. Lots of people in the world do things for people for the feeling they get. Oh, I feel better about myself, and that's fine. You're actually created. Psychologists say that there's a, there's a chemical reaction that happens in your brain when you give, when you serve, when you make a difference. You're created for that. You're created not to be self-centered, but to give to bless people, to love people. But here's what, when we bring this into the church, we recognize that what it's about is eternity. As long as heaven and hell are real, and they are, this matters. And we wanna serve for eternal impact, to see people who are far from God come close. And it's not, should we serve, should we, should we demonstrate or tell? There are times where we can't preach a message that we should live it out and walk it out but it's also just true that if we do the, the work and we serve, but we don't tell them who it is that sent us, who it is that changed our life, we may feed a stomach, and we may clothe somebody, but what God's after is an eternal difference. Otherwise, we're just another social service agency. But what makes a difference is eternity. What makes a difference is the good news of Jesus. Can I just tell you this matters? People ask all the time, Pastor, what's my purpose in life? What's my purpose in, as a teacher, a parent, a business owner, a plumber, a waiter, whatever? Like, what's my purpose? I'll tell you what your purpose is. Carry the good news. Show and tell. Demonstrate what God's given us. When we lose sight of that, I think the church goes back to, we, we stop being a rescue society. Can I just tell you, I've, I, I'm really intrigued, and if this is you, I'm so sorry, but not really. Um, I, I, I've been fascinated by the things that really stir people up. Like, I've never been, can I just say this? I've never been to a doctor's office and said, I don't like the color on your walls. But we got opinions about like, hey, you painted the kids' room with black. That's just weird. I don't understand that. That's a true story. So if that's you, I'm sorry. But I'm just saying, it actually wasn't anybody in our church. But I'm just saying, it's interesting when we forget there's people drowning, we'll argue about the color of the life raft. I should say that again. There's people in the water that are hurting, that are broken, they're lost, and you and I are called to carry that to them. This isn't for preachers only and pastors only and missionaries only. It's for the whole church to be able to carry and show the good news of Jesus to the world. Last point, number three, is we owe the world an encounter with Jesus. We owe the world an encounter 
with Jesus. One last story in Mark chapter 2. It says, again, Jesus entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately there gathered together so many that there was no longer room enough to receive, not even at the door. And so Jesus preached the word to them. And then there came to him, bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. But they could not come near to Jesus because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes, the religious crowd, the critics were there and they reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said, why do you reason this way? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your mat and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, rise up, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, went out in the presence of them all. And all those that were present were amazed and glorified God. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. We owe the world an encounter with Jesus. You and I were the paralyzed man that was broken, that could not help ourselves to Jesus, but somebody prayed us into the kingdom. Somebody prayed for us when we were running from God. Someone shared the good news of Jesus, the hope that we now carry I'm thankful for every person who shared about Jesus in my life, who is a light in my life, who pointed me to Jesus. I'm thankful. And now we have an opportunity to do the same. But you're also, not only were we the paralyzed man, but we have an opportunity to be one of those four friends who came with their, man, they brought their friend to the house and there was such a crowd that they could not come in and some people would go, well, I guess Jesus is just too busy today. I guess we can't get in today. There's no seats available and there's no room in the house, but you know what they did? They said, we're gonna do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. They carried him. Because not only are we carriers of the message, but our calling is to bring people to Jesus no matter what it takes. <laughs> and, and I love this. They, they were willing to climb up, they carried their friend to the roof, and those roofs tops were usually a part of like an extension of the house, like a patio on top. But they were they said, Oh, we're gonna get through this, and they started to pull apart the thatch and the 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 the, the materials that was covered up and made up that ceiling, and they ripped through, and Jesus is inside and he's teaching, and all of a sudden a little piece of ceiling falls down. And I'm sure there were people in the room that go, What in the world is happening? There's a mess being created right now. But when you realize you're going to do whatever it takes to get your friend to Jesus, you don't care if it makes a mess. You're not worried about what people think. You know they need what's in the room. You know they need what Jesus brought. And if we look at one of the other gospels, it says the power of the Lord was present, but nobody was experiencing it. It's like having a plug and not plugging into the outlet. But those four friends, they said, we're going to do whatever it takes. They ripped through. Jason, if you want to come down. They ripped through the ceiling. And they let their friend down. And that day, he experienced both forgiveness and healing. His life was transformed. I bet you that man was not worried about the method they used, how big a mess they made, 
he was grateful. Thank you for bringing me to Jesus. And I just tell you, there's going to be people that you have yet to even meet, that your prayers and your serving and your being a part of saying yes to Jesus. There's going to be people that are going to say in eternity, thank you for bringing me to Jesus. Some you'll know, and some you may never know the side of eternity, but I can tell you what matters at the end is bringing people to Jesus. And I know this is a message for the church. But maybe today you're far from Jesus. And you're just like that paralyzed man. You say, I, I, can't, I can't figure out what to do next, but I know I need something to change. A few years ago, I was an outreach pastor. My wife and I served at a great church in Phoenix. That's where we started in full-time ministry. And one of, our, one of our outreaches, one of our ministries was an outreach to a park, a local park, with this older couple that you would have never picked to do what they would do. If I'm just being honest, like they, they didn't fit the bill. They were well put together. We're not, you know, the age group of those that were going to reach. In fact, here's how they started. They just said, you know what? We want to go help some people. And so they showed up at a park. They knew there were some homeless people there at the park. So they showed up, this husband and wife. And they just, they found a kid who was, I think he was, he was a teenager, homeless, had a fake name. I think his, he went by a name Pirate, not what his mama called him. When they started talking to him, they just showed him love. They just kept loving this kid. They didn't preach to him even yet. They just, showed, they just kept loving on him. They brought him food. They brought him some water. And, and he said, you know what? You're, you're different than other people that have come here. And, and he said, I've got some friends. They're down by the bus station near, we had an old mall that had been abandoned largely and there was a bus terminal there that was one of the main three bus terminals in all of the Phoenix metro area. He said, come, in, come on next Tuesday and, and meet some of my friends. Well, they didn't know this. There were 200 homeless teenagers. So they show up the next week and these kids had walked through so much trauma in their life and their only sense of community was each other. In fact, many of them were part of a gang that would use just all kinds of makeup and all kinds of things. They'd wear these scary masks just to freak people out. But this couple just kept showing up. They weren't the age group. They didn't fit the demographic of those they were reaching, but they were willing to show up. They were willing to say yes. And they started bringing hot dogs and food and whatever they could. They asked the kids, what do you miss most about being home? And all of them said the same thing, birthdays. So they said, we're gonna have one big birthday party for you. you got a big old giant cake. And they said, happy, they sung happy birthday to 200 homeless teenagers. And over the course of the next couple of years, so many of those students came to Christ that they started a church, reaching 300 homeless teenagers. But you know what the next step was? They actually brought 30 of them to church one Sunday. And these kids, they had the scariest masks. I'm not, not like metaphor masks, like actual like scary masks. Just like, I'm gonna push you away before you have a chance to push me away. Some had clown makeup and you know, they show up to church, hardened, ready to fight, just say the wrong thing. And I'm, you know, 
they showed up when they sat down, three of these kids, everybody in the row behind them started speaking in tongues, freaking out. It was great. <laughs> and that day when the pastor gave an invitation for people to give their life to Jesus, all 30 of them, every single one, probably didn't understand a thing that was spoken that day, but they knew the drawing of God and they found the love of God and every one of them came down and gave their life to Jesus. Kids, makeup, clown makeup running down their faces. <laughs> their lives are changed. And I'm just telling you that when the church says we're gonna do what we're created for, we're gonna be a rescue society. We're gonna go after those that are hurting and broken. We're gonna, we're gonna show up with yard tools and, 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 and care packages of the nursing. We're gonna do practical things, but we're gonna do it in Jesus' name. We're gonna show and tell. Who knows what he could do when four lepers just start moving and an enemy flees. I know that the enemy's doing stuff in North Iowa. I know that. But I'm not worried about what the enemy's doing. He can try to stop people at the gate, but when they get a, when they hear word of what Jesus has done and we bring something real to them, it could change North Iowa. I'm telling you. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.